Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is TL, and you are now on the front line. Even though we live, it's still a stereo podcast, baby. Out here working hard for y'all. If you are looking for the news, this ain't it. This is Couch Conversation by some experts, some professional experts. And I just ask the questions. I get them to come down to the couch and say the things that you would say in the privacy of your own home. And one of those professionals that I have with me that you've heard with me multiple times before, hey. Mr. Dorian Richardson, welcome to the Stereo Podcast. Hey, hey, what's up, my brother? Always good to see you, man. Hey, man, look, I'm excited today. We are uh, doing our first live podcast, and I appreciate all my listeners pushing me. You, um, one of those people who have pushed me to come out and put the face behind the voice. Man, I got the face behind the voice now. Hey, what do you say? It's a, it's a lot of wonderful things for people to see, man. So they hear your voice and they get to see, you know, the inflection and all the passion behind all the great questions that you ask all the guests. So I'm looking forward to it, man. It's good stuff. Hey, man, we got a we got an excellent show for you guys um, planned today. I can't say more. Uh, I mean, just let me like what a time to be alive and be black right now. Right. <laughs> if, if you do not believe that it's a, a wonderful time to be black and alive, then you don't see the opportunity in the challenge. And to the frontline listeners, I, this is where I go. Um, the challenge is to bring awareness and teach our fellow men and women about our authentic self. Uh, I might be a little bit early in saying this, but um, as I say this, I believe the people that's living right now, we're the people who will shape the the new idea of what it means to be a true, authentic, <laughs> you're going to like this one, T, native black American. We're going to shape that. Oh, and right God. now is the time to be, alive. it's the time to be alive and do that. White people are listening right now, man. Look, I'm not mad. I, I love the allies. Um, the whole human race is listening. And- mm-hmm. Mm-hmm they want from us right now t is they want authenticity but my question <laughs> i have a question you know go I, ahead I, go I, ahead bro dropping on us my question is do we even know what authenticity is anymore mm. <laughs> we've been i mean we've been navigating these muddy waters of, of the professional world for such a long time and so long that some of us have become blackish it's Ooh, not just but, white people who need to change. But you have to you have to explain that a little bit more. Black-ish. Talk to me about that. Yeah. What is that, bro? We it's not just it's just not white people who need to change. There's gonna be some black people who need to change. And some of the things that we're gonna change is we have to come with our whole self in whatever environment that we in. I know you preach and teach about being authentic, you, and that's why I wanted you on this um live broadcast with me to talk about being the authentic you. The it's just like I said, black, we've been we've been navigating muddy waters in the professional world. When we go to work, we spent years of trying to assimilate uh, women straighten their hair. They don't they don't um, wear their natural hair anymore. Guys like us, we we we've donned the suit and ties for a long time to assimilate. We, we clean up the lining for the haircut to be I mean. nice. Um, we won't. <laughs> or here you go. We, we won't do. the. We never do the we we didn't used to don a, a full beard because of it wasn't, as they say, uh, what you call white friendly. <laughs> Dude, do you realize I've, I've looked this term white friendly up 
I just wanted to see if it was something that even even had an urban dictionary definition to it. Okay. And and what is the urban definition of it? There is none. That's the thing. It's something that we say. I, hmm. I didn't find an urban definition, urban dictionary de- definition to it. I didn't find any history on it, any research on it. I couldn't even find an article on it. So wow. <laughs> right now, you are now finna, you're, you're gonna hear, we're gonna talk about what it means to be white friendly. <laughs> Have you mm. heard the term white friendly? I just, I, right now, we, I want to talk about that. I want to, before I get into that, I know yeah. my millennial friends are not used to people just going in and talking. So for my <laughs> millennial friends, I'm going to play a little music and talk about the lineup for the day. So I hope that's not too loud. People, what right, we got to talk about today? Um, let me turn that down a little bit. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Real-time feedback. You said real-time feedback? Hey, man, we making it work real-time. It's okay. Hey, man, it's my first one. Y'all got to bear with me. Stick with me. Stay with me. Um, Talking about the lineup today. I, w- I want to talk about being white-friendly. I want to talk about the white voice. You, you ever seen that movie um with um uh, Lakeith Stansfield when he, mm. he, he played the... the the caller online and he has the white voice. Mm. I want to talk about Chaz, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Um, I want to talk about companies far and wide making Juneteenth a holiday that we can now take off. I keep telling y'all they are listening right now. Forget what forget what Trump said. <laughs> he didn't make this uh, a, a thing. Uh, it's been a thing for us for a long time, but I want to talk about how companies are making this historically celebrated day uh, a day for everyone to take off now and then the fourth of july like what we still talking about that we not we're gonna talk about it just a little bit um, because like I said, people we've been black itched lately and i said not only white people got to change so do we so right. uh we we, uh, we actually have a really interesting special guest with us today dr swanee jet he's an yes, epidemiologist I, i'll i'll give more about dr swanee jet when he when he comes in the studio with us but he can talk specifically to this pandemic and of course your boy got questions i did the COVID interview and i had the whole patient interview situation come about but i now need to talk to a specialist who deals with this regularly hmm. you ready man i'm ready man let's get it popping so you guys see the comment up there. What is it? Have you ever heard of the term white friendly? This is a term that we've used consistently in the black community. It's like, oh, she's white friendly or he's white friendly or look at him. He, he He's only gotten that far because they're white friendly. And this is one of the things we have to start changing. We can't be our authentic self if we're white friendly or as other terms, people other terms people would put it in, you're kind of black-ish. Okay, so you know? let me ask you a question, though. But what does white-friendly mean? Because you said you looked it up. What what does it mean, I guess, for the context of this conversation? For the context of this conversation, yeah. I'm saying we have to change, too. We can't just be... I mean, we just, we, we just need to be friendly, for one. Okay. I, it, I mean, have you been called white-friendly before? I've been called white-friendly before. I, I've been called a lot of things. White-friendly would be one, <laughs> would be one of those things. White-friendly yeah. before. Yeah. And I feel like it comes from the ability to be able to speak properly. I think it comes from um, being in a professional position where we um, are working for high 
professional companies, highly recognized professional companies. Uh-huh. I think it comes from seeing us being promoted in, in, in a white collar environment, whether than a blue collar environment. And I, I think it comes from us being able to sit down and converse with mankind and the human race, period, meaning black, white, indifferent, purple, whatever. I think it comes from us being able to sit down and have a conversation with anyone. And they say, oh, he could talk like that because he's white friendly. So, so, so when I hear things like that, it's always interesting to me because then I ask myself, well, if, if white friendly is something that is presented as derogatory, then what have we normalized? Right. So if white friendly is a bad thing, then what is the baseline for how we're normalizing it? And so when I hear it like, well, you know, you can sit in a room with other people and you can bring people together and you can talk to anyone. I don't know why a person wouldn't want to be some version of that anyway. Right. I- and, and, and that's that's what becomes troubling when we start to call names and point the finger at each other or at anyone else is first we have to define what this stuff really means to us and how we internalize it. And then we got to think about why we would even have a baseline for something that is perceived to be derogatory. I've, I've gotten called, you know, I mean, I grew up uh, partly on the south side of Chicago, partly in uh, the Justice area and then the rural Naperville area. So, you know, I, I grew up in three really distinctly different types of neighborhoods. One right. was all African-American. One was mixed, but socioeconomically, it was still working class, working poor. And then the rural Naperville area was fairly affluent for the most part. Right. Uh, and, and, and all, well, not all, but majority, definitely majority white. So, yeah, I mean, you know, what we have to understand is in our society, it's not the strongest that survive. It's actually the most adaptable, but adaptability doesn't necessarily mean conforming. It means understanding and being able to contextualize different environments. And I think everybody should want to be able to do that in some way, shape or form, because the world is not all one particular way. I, I completely agree. Same thing with same thing with me. I, for the most part, I'm west side of Chicago, um, and which is a predominant predominantly black community. And then moving out to Oak Park River Forest, <laughs> which you guys would be surprised is not as as, as white as we think it is, but um, <laughs> predominantly white community. Hmm. And being in those both environments, I. I'm okay. I'm I, I'm able to thrive in both environments. But as I talk about being white friendly, that 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 other term or the the more newer term comes up. Hmm. Kind of blackish. I tell my wife all the time, right? So I love my wife Zenda. If you're watching, I, I do love you. But I'm about to talk about you a little bit. <laughs> She's an amazing human being. I know her personally, Zenda. It's all love. It's all love. <laughs> so my wife. It, one of the parts that I loved about my wife is that she is completely and utterly a person who who wants to be the authentic her mm. she wears her hair naturally she barely wears any makeup and she's beautiful in her own right in her own mind but when it comes to our professional atmosphere i hear that the voice that she uses at home mm. is not the voice that she uses at work mm. <laughs> it's a totally different sound totally different context and it's where she goes, this is how I was raised to speak. I, I shouldn't have to not speak properly in order to communicate with people. Yeah, but that's not the voice that you use at home. <laughs> and when we, when we, when we're in in our own settings, um, even at home, when we're when we're enjoying a a cocktail, it's yeah, I'm talking about you, sweet. I'm putting all your stuff on there. I drink Jack Daniels too, but it's Jack Daniels. But out in public, when we're in a professional setting or with a group of people, we we tend to speak about wine and 
and Cab, Cabernets and Pinot Noir mm -hmm. and, and things that would be familiar to them. Although they drink just as much bourbon, whiskey, wine and beer as as we drink. But it's 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 something within our upbringing or DNA that has us feel like this is a white thing and we should get to know what these white things are so we can do them and be more white. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and these are things that are passed on from generation. I remember in, in my grandmother's home, she would imply um, subtly, not really overtly, but like, you know, kind of white, white people stuff can be a little bit better. Right. Or it's perceived differently. I think that we also have to look at what's been the dominant culture or the status quo for a really long time. And, and essentially what we do is we try to conform, right? We want to be successful and we want to work within an organization, but the organization is owned by and ran by one particular group. Right, right. And, we, and conform. And, and what do we call it? We call it code switching, right? I know what it is. And I've noticed <laughs> it myself. Sometimes I'm in one conversation and I can hear myself dipping a little bit this way. And then I'm in another conversation and it sounds very, very different. And it's very clear. My vernacular is very uh, staccato. So you can you can go, you know, and, and, and it's to the point now where it's not even intentional. But I don't again, I don't think that that is a bad thing. I think that the more we are exposed to different people, to different places, then we can conform. But I'm also aware that the reason that I'm conforming is because there is a more dominant culture. And I, I had to assimilate into the system. And if I wanted to be successful in it, that's how I see it. So we have all our companies still a working professional, even though I do this. Um, we have all our companies. We're the token. I, I don't want to be I don't want to be the token, but that's what we are right now. We're the guy that they're looking to or the female that they're looking to saying. What do we do about our situation? Um, I, I, I was a part of a, a, comp, a, corp, a large corporation, consultant corporation, where um, I was I was one of the leadership members of mm -hmm. the black group the networking group for, for blacks. And it was a thing where they no longer wanted to do the networking group for the blacks. They wanted to be more inclusive. So that's where that diversity and inclusion came from. Hmm. And now I'm, I'm listening to these companies in our, in our conversation and in our, in our, in our uh, review of what's happening in the world today. And they're moving away from this inclusivity and and wanting this inclusion group to back to one this black group. I want the black group back now because I need to know what y'all gonna say. And we're getting the conversation started, and you guys won't talk to us. Is that us not being authentic with ourselves? Do we need to show them full black Negro TL and Torian? Or do we what I mean, like what do we need to do in order to we need to be authentic if, if it if it yeah. means wearing your natural hair and, and just calling a person out. I mean, we've been really, we've been really cognizant of not just saying anything, especially in a professional environment, because at the end of the day, like you said, who runs those companies, right? Right. However, there are people, they're coming to us now. And yeah. when they're coming to us, we, we need something to say. And what, <laughs> this is the time where we, what do you say? To, what's that? Dave, we talked about this. You said there's a Dave Chappelle skit where the black mm -hmm. guy, us can say anything that he wants to yeah, say. We're keeping the real goes wrong. Right. So should <laughs> we just keep it real and, and, and ask for forgiveness well, later? Well, I think that's a great question, but I, I'm going to peel back the layers of that onion a little bit more. The real question is, is when everybody is listening as they are right now, mm -hmm. what do we actually have to say? Right. 
that's the question. What do, what do we have to say? We So now if you are a native black American, you have not only the, the attention of the United States of America, but you have the attention of the whole world right now. What are you saying? And if we peel that onion back a little bit, and you and I have talked about this, and I've talked about it in other places as well, there is a lot of trauma, a lot of adverse childhood experiences, a lot of PTSD that even if we've been successful professionally, that we still carry with us, man. And, and, and it's part of the healing process. So now what we're seeing is people who are hurting, generational trauma that's been passed forward, and they're just getting it out. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, because I think we all need to have outlets, but we also have to understand what we're seeing and why we're seeing it. And, uh, and then authentic self, why we are where we are, right? Um, and and that's, not, that's not an easy thing to do, man. And that's why I think a lot of people don't do it personally. And then I also think that's why a lot of organizations don't try to drive it because it's difficult to do it in a small setting, let alone without a whole, within a whole organization. But I'm not saying it shouldn't happen. I'm just saying we need to have a better understanding as to why we're not doing it, particularly individually, because that's where it all starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, we definitely don't want this movement to become a moment. Um, what I want to yeah. do now is I definitely want to I want to put a post. I want to post the link in the chat in the, in the in the comments. Hey, y'all, y'all got to bear with me. I'm new to this part of the situation. <laughs> I want to post the link in the in the chat. So if you want to engage with us, I definitely encourage you to click on the link. You'll come into the the what they call backstage and I'll let you in. You can engage with us, ask us a question, make a comment. Um, definitely engage with us. If you have comments right now online, don't hesitate to pull those comments up on the up in the up in the chat. Mm-hmm. And we can talk, we can talk and discuss about some of those, some some of those comments as well. Um, but T, this is this, yeah. here's a, an additional question for you. Talk to me. I'm 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 getting people coming back still to this day with this whole all lives matter thing. Mm. Not that I not that I disagree with the fact that all lives do matter and I know that white people and other races definitely suffer from the hands of police brutality and we're still at this point having to we still have to explain that black lives matter doesn't mean all lives don't matter. This is a situation where we finally took just our movement and posted it and put it up on a pedestal. This is just for us. This is something that you can be a part of, but us saying black lives matter doesn't mean that all lives don't matter. But I want to bring attention to a a special set of privileges that these all lives matters. People tend to forget if all lives mattered, I want you to ask yourself, would there be a Chaz? Would there be a Capitol Hill autonomous zone if Black Lives Matter took that over? That is not people of color that took over a specific point in Seattle, a police station in Seattle. That's true. Has blocked it off, renamed it, and held an armory around it, people <laughs> with, arms, with rifles. If, if for one moment you think if that was a, a predominantly Black movement, they wouldn't just bomb it shoot it up or even allow us to take it. We never have gotten that far. (laughs) No, not even close. I mean, as close as we got was the black Panther party, right? And the black Panther party, they came out armed knowing their rights and they just sat by and watch. And you, and we seen what happened to the black Panther party. Um, Even those brothers ended up being, they were infiltrated. Yeah. Yeah, they, and, even, and they, they, they basically imploded. They were infiltrated. And then from the inside out, the black Panther party fell. 
All right. You, uh, there's the again, there's the link in the comment section on the Frontline Stereo podcast. I don't know if you're catching it on on my page specifically, but if you head over to the Frontline Stereo podcast page where you can like and get a and get a um, notification when we go live, I should be live on my page. I don't know. This is my first time. I'm going to check it after we do this. But the link to our stream, if you want to comment and share or have a question for us, don't hesitate to chime in. Uh, we love to hear your comments. We love to um, know what you're thinking. We love to know what you're, you're saying. But going back to the um, conversation, T, yes, not for one minute would there be uh, a Chaz if that was a predominantly black group. I mean, you, we've seen what happened to Black Wall Street. Hmm. Black Wall Street was where uh, um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where President Trump wants to hold a rally and hand out face masks in a spiking coronavirus location. And he wants to do a live rally. Tulsa, Oklahoma was blown up because it basically was a, a successful, predominantly black community. No ifs, ands or buts about it. Yeah. And now we have to deal with the same. If, if that was if that was us and Chaz, that, that, that would be. That would be the same thing that would take place. What's your thoughts on Chaz itself? This autonomous zone where white armed people are partying, took over a police station. They're basically daring authorities to come in and take over the whole situation. Okay, so my view on this is going to be different. So people who understand power and influence understand that direct force is usually met with direct force. Now, there's no question that we have a, a, a seismic shift in what's happening on the face of this planet, but it's, it's being fueled with, with what's happening in the Black community in the United States. But I do think that a, a zone like that does show that there are people who are able to do certain things, and the powers that be are saying, we're going to give a little bit instead right. of pushing on the line, which is what I think our president is doing, just holding a line and understanding that at some point, at least from history standpoint, this push, mm -hmm. the protests and all the things that are happening, trying to make this shift will eventually ease up and then we'll move back to a normal. That's how I you see said, things like that. You said normal. What's the, what's the other side to what we call what we're going to call the new normal? I, I, I do have a growing concern that because we have this level of protest, these mm -hmm. level of protests, and we're pretty much demanding that they pay attention to the Black Lives Matter movement. I just feel like there's going to be a negative effect, just like we got Barack Obama. But then the adverse side to that was Donald Trump. So so you fear that on the other side of this, that things will be worse off in the Absolutely. new normal? How so? Yeah. How so? I just I just feel like there's always another that yin to that yang. I feel like there's going to be another push for I feel like there's going to be a push for another group of people. Mm -hmm. It's going to protest the opposite. Sorry about the technical. That's okay. I mean, th there'll always be that. And that, that's okay, I think. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to take it back to the Native Black American community. Um, mm -hmm. What is our ask? What's our collective ask? And we've talked about this a little bit. But if, if that were rooted and it were strong and it was a universal truth across the native black American community, you know, 75, 80%, that we have this one ask that, that if we don't get, there will be consequences in which we will, not necessarily violence, but, but plugging out of the larger economy very strategically, mm -hmm. um, then I think we, we'd have a little bit more um, traction around some of this. And I think we'd have a little bit more depth because what needs to happen is there will be a new normal. Listen, man, 
we have an election coming up and we have a recession coming up. So we, in the midst of two major things, we have two major things that are coming. One that is immediate and then one is a little bit longer that's gonna affect people. And so we have to make sure that when we move into zone three and four of those things, that right. the things that we actually want are still not only important, but a priority and at the top of the list. And that's where I go back to, we need to make sure that we're having that conversation, having those asked, and that there are people in place of power and influence that can actually execute them. So when I talk about this and without getting off in too much of a tangent, I'm looking at businesses, I'm looking at board of directors, I'm looking at executives, investors, partners, because those are the people that actually control and allocate money for budgets. Those are the people who talk about profitability. And in the government, these are the people who create policy that affect communities. So if we are not in those places to make those decisions, then we're not gonna have substantial change for the better. It might change, but it won't necessarily be for the better. So that's what we need to do. And it needs to be a little bit more collective in our community. But, you know, and there are some things that we have to do in the process because we essentially have to fly this plane at a very high speed and then right. change the wings at the exact same time. And they so both my, have to be done. My mind is churning. I got a, I got a, a couch conversation question. So I'm, yes, I'm a working professional, as many of us are. And as I'm sitting here listening to the, the conversation, all I can think about is what do I say? I, I mean, we, we bring these things up in safe places with people who we feel comfortable with talking to and having additional com conversations about Chaz or, or um, working capital or who's going to speak for who. And this is a voting, um, this is voting's coming up. What do I say when I I'm asked at work as a leadership, as a, as a person in leadership, what do I say at work when I'm asked, how are you feeling? Mm. <laughs> you you, you mm. know, I, I know how I'm feeling. I know how most of the America is feeling. But not only are they asking us how we're feeling, then they proceed to talk over us and not listen. Yeah. Um, well, well, listening is a skill that all of us can work on. All of us. Trust me. I mean, it, it, you know, I do workshops on teaching how to be heard and stuff like that. But that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, my answer would be very directly, you tell them the truth and you tell them your personal absolute truth, right? And it's not just the truth in itself, but it's, you know, everything is how it's delivered. And I guess that takes us back to our first question. But I do believe that, especially at this inflection point of our society, if we're not able to show up in a way that is rooted in how we want to live on a day-to-day -day basis, then what's the point in being within an organization if you can't be vulnerable enough to express how you feel? And it doesn't mean that it's a huge cry fest and, you know, everybody is not performing, but they're they're just kind of, you know, in counseling and things of that nature. But it means if you if you are in a holistic organization with real leadership or and or we are a part of that leadership, then these types of conversations should be in an environment where you feel safe expressing that. And that's that's what I talk about. Um, some of the things that I'm writing around courageous vulnerability and how do we show up courageously vulnerable in our truth. Hello. And I mean, so are these with these company cultures? I'm in my mind, I'm I'm feeling like, hey, we've had pushback on multiple occasions on um, dreads in the workplace, uh, women wearing their hair wrapped in the workplace, um, acceptable clothing for those for those thick and wonderful women <laughs> who who they find that eat while their clothing is just regular skirts, dresses or mm -hmm. blouses. They, they they're a little bit more endowed. So so. Um, they're blessed. Unacceptable, um, unacceptable 
pieces of clothing in the, in the workplace. How do we get to the point if we're, if we know we've already experienced that level of pushback on some mm. of these regular, regular items, mm. how can we be our authentic self and bring our whole self to work and say, Hey, look, this is me. This is who I am. And this is what I'm going to do when I come to work. And we have to, because we have to change that. We have to change. We do. That. We do. We do. We do. Well, first you ask the deeper question of, can I really codify that? Right? Like, do mm -hmm. I really know? Again, getting back to, to how large uh, a critical mass of our community is responding. Do, have, we, have we moved from a survival mindset and a survival um, environment into a thriving one where we can actually sit back a little bit and start to ask ourselves some of these deeper questions? Now, sometimes that has to do with just money. But you and I both know, and a lot of your listeners know, we know people with high paying jobs that are working up to whatever ladder they're trying to work up. And they are almost batshit crazy when they're outside of work because of some of the trauma and some of the things that we've experienced. So taking the time to do that for yourself is important. And I think the first thing I always when I work with clients is, you know, what do you identify with? Like, how do you define your identity? Right. What are what are your codes, which are your values, plus the the things that that the narrative that you have to your values to create the code in which you operate, how you see religion, politics, where that may come from, how you define success, right? Where is that really? Right. I mean, and it sounds really deep and esoteric, but these are the questions that as we're moving forward with different types of policies within organizations, we also internally have to be making sure that we're working on. And um, as we're doing that, then looking at the covering, right? The covering is a real academic term. Uh, there's a professor out of NYU and he talks about uh, covering, right? Or not showing yourself when you're at work. And of course, for the smaller communities or the, the communities that aren't in power, those numbers are extremely high, 70, 80%, as opposed to um, within those communities, those that are running an organization. So understanding covering and then understanding the environment a little bit more so that there's almost a push-poor relationship with the right. company or and or and honestly sometimes we have to make hard decisions right like do you really want to stay in a place can you afford to stay in a place where you can't even show up as a, a large fraction of who you are every single day of your life wow like can you <laughs> say do i still work here you got to still want to work here you know yeah, we got to make a decision hey look i want to i want to switch the com um the conversation just a little bit we'll stay on the workplace but i want to bring in a gentleman who has been not only my friend but one of the smartest people that I know when it comes to dealing with some of these, some of the, um, what's going on in the world with coronavirus companies. I, I, I know I want him to be a part of this conversation. Companies are now giving us Juneteenth off. I want to talk about Juneteenth. Uh, but I also want to talk about how do we celebrate and also stay safe. Um, to do that, I want to bring in, um, one of my friends, epidemiologist, Lieutenant Colonel, um, Dr. Swanee Jett, Dr. Swanee hey, Jett, welcome hey. to the Frontline Stereo Podcast, sir. <laughs> hey, this is the only time I get a chance to see you, huh? I got to actually uh, get live into your I, show. I am not coming outside to smoke no cigars <laughs> right now while we are going through this whole pandemic. I'm listening. I'm paying attention to the, 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 F, the, the I can't even get them out. The FDC? Is that it? No. FDC. Yes. They are telling us to y'all telling us to stay in and wear masks, man. And Florida just got called possibly the new epicenter 
of the coronavirus. So instead of people guessing at what's going on and only listening to CNN and, and West 2 News, here we go. We got an epidemiologist, even though he and his bow tie today, I'm going to get him to have wonderful, regular conversation with us and just give us the real numbers, the truth. And I want him to tell us the things that we you, you've told me when we were sitting out having a cigar before this pandemic got really bad. Just Wait. this is your field. Tell, tell the people one about your field and what you've done in the past. And just this is an expert, people. I want to hear oh. about I want to. What does that say? So, you know, first, thank you for the, the acknowledgement and the accolades. But, you know, let me just say this for the greater community that might not be aware. Uh, I'm wearing a bow tie today. And so I've started wearing a bow tie until COVID-19 is over. Um, now I have a, a colossal, you know, he knows a lot of ties. Yes, I'm trying to go out and buy bow ties. But when I started this process of wearing bow ties, the stigmatism that was associated with wearing a bow tie was not that I was a scholar, but that I was in the Nation of Islam. I already knew it, yeah. And that I was selling bean pies. <laughs> and and I'm like, um, <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, maybe people forgot that wearing a bow tie actually meant that you was a scholar and you was very um, astute. And so I wanted to bring that back into fashion because all of a sudden wearing a bow tie should mean I'm smart. Or at least the appearance that I'm smart until I right. say something dumb, like what you often hear in the media. Look, look, your boy is bow tie fly all the time. <laughs> bow tie yes, fly, I love it. And yes, I happen to be a Muslim, <laughs> but that is that's not the reason why I wear a bow tie. When I wear a bow tie, I wear a bow yeah. tie. I like so, them. And here's the thing: and wearing a bow tie should mean something. It should elevate the game. So I'm going to elevate beyond the nonsense that you have heard. Co coronavirus, COVID-19, SARS-2, whatever you want to call it, has become political. Right. Just like um, somebody wanted to take away from Colin Kaepernick and Millie, and they wanted to make it about the flag. Now, if you remember, we started this um, pandemic, which was just an epidemic. If we had just looked at what was happening in China, nobody wanted to believe that the coronavirus can jump across in the United States. Now, let me just say, for instance, in Brooklyn, Mass, 18% of the population is Asian. Okay? 357 millionaires live in the town of 60,000 people. They were traveling Hello. back and forth to China. So I started quarantining cases in January, traveling from China, traveling from Italy, and I started wearing a mask in February flying. Having a conversation with, you know, the dear host. And I said, look, one of our friends said, hey, we noticed that coronavirus is just mainly impacting people that are very affluent. So, ha ha. <laughs> it is yeah. not a black people's disease. <laughs> yeah, that's when we believed it wasn't a black person's disease. Uh -huh. Yeah. I was thinking to myself, you fool. Just wait a minute. <laughs> well, hold on. Now, now, some people believe. I mean, I, I mean, news is our our newscasters are reporting that COVID nineteen, hey, aka COVID nineteen nineteen stands for twenty nineteen. This actually started in twenty nineteen, and they had cases that that went undiagnosed um, back in early as November, December. Uh, so it's true. So okay. the, the market happens, and, and I would just say this won't be the last. Um, 
but I'm gonna finish the other story, but I'm gonna get back to that. Okay. So people that are highly influent, they were able to travel to some of these places that people in the hood don't fly to. So let's be one. So they contracted disease overseas, brought it back to the US. And because we do so much global travel, where those people travel were incubation for the disease. So highly affluent, a lot of people travel from Boston, New York, overseas, relatives. It was one time they started to travel down south for warm weather in Florida. So when you start popping up a few cases, the Biogen Conference happened in Boston. So I was telling the community first, I said, everybody need to grab your mask because number one, the first thing that's going to come out is you don't need to wear a mask if you don't have COVID, which meant we had a large part of the population walking around saying, well, I don't have COVID. I don't need masks. Okay. Well, hold on. Time out. Dr. Fauci got on TV and said, unless you're sick, you don't need a mask. And now then the next thing that came out was, well, majority of people might be asymptomatic. So if you're asymptomatic, meaning that you don't show signs of being sick, but you might be a carrier. Why would, don't I need a mask? So, Doc, what what is this really? Like right now, we're on the verge <laughs> of having a whole. I mean, but think about that for a moment. You don't told... I I'm thinking about that. He doesn't. Told... He went back. He, first, he said, don't wear. You don't need a mask. Now they're saying you do need a mask. And quite frankly, even with the protests going on, I'm looking at the president, and what he's doing. The president has never worn a mask. Um, but when the protest was going on, every soldier that I seen standing out there, with the exception of maybe one or two, they didn't have a mask. Do they know something that we don't know? Are, do, are y'all aware of something? Is it G14 classified? Yeah, that's what I uh, want to so know. I would just tell you this. So, number one, that's what made the disease transmit to the greater community. First, you got to shut off the borders. Just like you want to protect the community, you should have stopped flights coming into the United States in January. You shut okay. off the flights from China and Italy. Nobody gets into the country. One, it's the same thing that China did to us, but you do it to them first. Forget about the political relations. This is controlling infectious disease. Right. Okay, you shut off towns. You shut off the, the United States. Two, you test everybody. I don't care if you're asymptomatic, if you have it or you don't. Therefore, you know where the disease at, and then you quarantine the people that are not sick. And you isolate the people that are. Man, that's you a scary. You shut down scary. the town for thirty days, and COVID would be done. That's South scary. Korea did this. Everybody, whether we asymptomatic or not, does that mean when the vaccine is created, you're gonna try to make everybody get a vaccine? Because I don't want that shot. Well, but just think about it like this. And so, okay. let me tell you, if you test everybody, just South Korea did this. If you look out there right now, South Korea, pretty much that they opened right back up. They're playing baseball and everything. Yep. They shut everything down because they tested. China did the same thing, but they did a shutdown for 60 days. How long have we been going through this now? It's the fifth month. Fourth right. month. Exactly. Fourth right. Exactly. One, you still have, if you go out right now, even if you've got insurance to say, look, I'm asymptomatic, I want a test, you're going to have a hard time getting a test. Still. Right? Still. Today. Now, what does that do to, I, let's go back to how this affects minority. Right. If I'm affluent, I got the money. I got to connect. I can call somebody. My my friend lives next door. He's a doc. He orders me a test. If you're right. in the hood, who the hell going to do that for you? Nobody. No one. The disease well, look, spread at first in Boston and New York because people were on top of each other. Right. Just like and in the you, 
and, and did you say that I, I I think I'm recalling something you said. Did you say the affluent people who was flying back and forth to China is who bought it to America? Exactly. Hmm. So the rich folk bought it over here. He <laughs> said, "Who else we gonna get it from?" <laughs> have, have you checked out how much it costs to, to to get on a flight to go to China? I have. You <laughs> 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 exactly. <laughs> Didn't you study in China? Yeah, I lived in China for five years. Yeah, I did yeah. a master's degree at Chinese University. Yeah. A, a, a eighteen hour flight, right? Oh yeah, yeah. If not longer, yeah, yeah. If not longer, and you spent it fifteen hundred to two thousand a pop. For sure. For sure. Okay. Yeah. Now, last time I checked, hey, ain't nobody in the hood spending that money to catch a flight to go to China. Not at all. Not at all. So, okay. Doc, what do we do? We got a national holiday, Juneteenth. <laughs> our national holiday is now being celebrated. Uh, that's that that goes back into our conversation, Tori, and when we talked about being black-ish. Yeah. Um, a lot a lot of these Negroes out here didn't even know what Juneteenth was. Some some of them don't celebrate it. History lesson is from 1865, where after two years, um, every slave found out that they were now free and they had to come to the slave plant, the plantations and, and force the plantation masters to release their slaves because this was two years after Lincoln did the Emancipation Proclamation. There's a, a brief, brief context into what Juneteenth is. It's, it's our true Independence Day. Now, I've been saying for years and years on edge, Negroes, you are celebrating the wrong holiday because Fourth of July, which is right behind Juneteenth, is going to come up and you're going to wear your stars. You're going to wear your stripes. And Swanee, I want you to tell us how to be safe when we wear these stars and these stripes, because that's what they're going to wear. Instead of celebrating tomorrow, take tomorrow off. I know your company's now giving it to you. So you have the opportunity to be with your family and celebrate the true independence of the black people. You now have that chance. What do we got to do to stay safe when we're barbecuing or should we set up quarantine circles, as I call them, our little quarantine circle? I know where you've been. I know where you've been. You're welcome to come eat barbecue with me. Well, let, let me just say this. And, and for the history from H1N1 to influenza, the big outbreak to Ebola and now COVID-19, who does it impact the most? Um, that, according to the news, it impacts people with already pre-consistent pre existing conditions yeah so that's one number two who does it impact people who Everybody don't have, have access. the idiots who don't pay attention oh you said the idiots that are paying attention yeah we need to pay attention i i, oh, I would believe that's a lot why of people that's, that's why i'm around here that don't think that they're gonna get sick them the idiots no, no. That's very true. Yeah, they don't think they need to wear masks those no, are people think. who stormed the Capitol first, the, the, the white folks with the guns, they stormed yeah. the Capitol and said, we're not worried about COVID-19. And then what did they report? Another COVID-19. You know, I was um, one of the first health commissioners in the nation to require everybody to wear a mask, whether it was right. a business or whether it was an individual going to the business. And the reason I did that, I understand that in order to control infectious disease, number one, you got to stop the spread. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was asked to remind people why they protesting to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. and to practice social distancing. And so, you know, I thought about that for a moment. And I said, you know, I, I agree with the message, but is this the right time hmm. to talk about that? Because, you know, if you're thinking about, you might die from COVID, but you're also worried about being pulled over by the police and being killed by the police. Oh, so much. Um, so which, which one you want to take a risk? I have a better chance on, you know, catching COVID and surviving than I do in being pulled over by the police and surviving. And at least, even if that's not the case, but a lot of African-American men 
uh, deal with the aspect of psychological surveillance of police, which Hello. is a, a mental inhibited that um, not only um, brings fear, but it, it releases that adrenaline gland cortisol in your body, which could create uh, cardiovascular disease. Racism is a big part of that. And so I don't want to go well in depth on this, but I, I want you to. I want I you to. We want you to go in depth, yes, but you got, to, you, got to, you got to come down for me. You talking about <laughs> things that's gonna give me nah, heart I, I understand it, man. He's talking about the neuroscience behind it, man. That's that's neuroscience right. behind it. And so when you begin to think about um the anger, and we have to do better with uh teaching, especially after Mega Man, how to deal with anger, but not not only that, how to deal with the fear of being pulled over. You know, now's the time. Yeah, we need to protest. Right. You need to wear masks. I, I don't think the the social distancing part is going to work because we're trying to achieve something bigger. But I think one of the best ways to go about this is, you know, I know you guys, you are my nucleus. Let us march together. Hmm. If we right. have a cookout, 4th of July, and you decide you weren't going to celebrate June 19th, I leave that on you. But if you decide to celebrate, it's only with the people that you know where they've been. Since COVID started, um, I've only associated myself with people that I know what they do. I know their habits. I know they don't do silly stuff. I know they don't just walk to the grocery store without a mask on, which is a hot spot. Because remember, when you close down all business, you only can get COVID from somebody you know, grocery store, the pharmacy, or the gas station. So the place that we said it was okay to go to has now become the hot spot. Of course. It's, it's, it's been a hot spot since March. People just didn't pay attention to the data. Right. And unfortunately for Florida, the health departments don't have, they do not have the authority to put a lot of restrictions in place. And so now it's a hot spot. People at the beach, they drink it. Actually, going to the beach is not bad because you buy sand and you buy salt water. The problem right. is when you go to the beach and you drink and now you're right next to somebody and you, you don't have a mask on, like the case that happened on Tuesday, you got 20 hundred cases in one day in Florida and three women was on CNN uh, with Cuomo talking about, yeah, I went to a beach party and we was drinking at the bar and I felt kind of bad. And the next thing you know, all of us got sick. See, that's the stupid stuff that shouldn't right. be happening. Right. But it is. Uh, well, or had, there was uh, a block party with a thousand um, black people at, and, and they were drinking in the middle of the street, not thinking about COVID. See, that's stupid stuff. That's what gets you killed. Hmm. Yeah. So, I, how, I so how do we that. how do we change the hearts and minds of Native Black Americans around that right now, though? Because I think that's the focus. And I know as Black men, we've we've talked about you know one of the things that that we we want to make sure that we're giving to in this next or this new normal is exactly what you talked about, Doctor. Is mental health, is healing. It's creating a space where we can actually come together and have an internal conversation around how do we actually show up differently on the other side of things. Um, so right now, how do we start to have a conversation to get people more involved to understand that, you know, this is for your, your health, not just for right now, but long term as well. And this fits directly into the struggle and the system that we're trying to penetrate. So one of the things I would just say, first, it takes a credible source. It takes you, you, and me to be on boots on the ground. It's one thing to work behind a desk, be in a nice office, but that's not community engagement. That's not being where the people need to hear. They're watching mm -hmm. TV. They need some credible sources in the community 
to not be afraid to talk to people, not being afraid to do that community engagement, that one-on-one education. Okay. When you see somebody talking about, I can't get COVID because it only impacts people under the age of 19, said, no, you're wrong. Latest data shows there's a, anybody can catch COVID. There was a kid that died two years of age recently in my community that had COVID. So anybody can get COVID, anybody can die from COVID, and it's not necessary. Tell me this. If you don't go to the doctor and you don't have insurance, how do you know you got pre-existing condition? Right. You, you don't. You don't. So right. why are you out there taking the risk? Most of us don't go to the doctor until we're about 26 years of age. We're probably in college. If you come from the hood and your parents don't have insurance, how do you know you got a pre-existing condition? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just bringing some Oh, yeah. We can go deep with it, bro. We can. We got a whole nother hour. We can go deep with this, man. I know. <laughs> so, so we got to get out of you know, this needs to be what I do is not my job. This is my passion. Mm. This is my career. I, and and Terrell, no, I talk to people day and night in order to make sure they stay healthy. But I have no problem going to the school system and talking to people. I have no problem. When I see the university doing something wrong, I correct them. When I see MDs doing something wrong in the hospital, I correct them. I have no problem in saying, look, you know, this is the proper protocol. That's misinformation. And stop so that stupid I, stuff. If you asymptomatic, you don't need a mask. I got a, I got a different question. So a lot of people, we, we're we're told on the news multiple times over again that we had a spike in cases. Or I'm I'm gonna speak specifically to Seminole County, um, where you were the health director at, of Seminole County, Florida, at one point in time. Correct. Um, we have a lot of 40, 50 new cases coming in in, in a day. Of those cases, when they report these numbers, are those numbers of hospitalized people or are those could those be asymptomatic people and hospitalized people like these? I need people to understand that these numbers are not just the numbers of people who are sick. These could are. are am I correct in saying that this is both asymptomatic cases and symptomatic cases? No, they just symptomatic cases. People that actually oh, wow. came back with a positive test. Mm. They might have not been hospitalized. Okay. Um, now you you could have some people that were asymptomatic, but let me let me just say this for the record: mm-hmm. people have been publishing data saying that twenty percent of people may be asymptomatic. That's okay. a lot. Is it um, even? It's it's lower. Even okay. China was the first one, and people didn't believe it. They did um, tests back in early January, February, and they released, it was China and the World Health Organization. There's a document out there you can find. They tested 56,000 people. Okay, remember at that time, they reached 80,000 cases. 1% was asymptomatic. Mm. Mm. Now, let let me go back to the science for a minute. If you asymptomatic and you tested then, and they said, well, you was positive, I guarantee you within a few days, if you shedding, you become symptomatic. You're gonna have something, whether it be loss of taste, loss of smell, you know, something, fever, cough. You're gonna have some symptoms. The problem is they don't go back and see those asymptomatic people five days. Were you symptomatic? They don't ask that question. It's at mm-hmm. that day, at that point in time, when they did the test. So. Are these people who are showing some symptoms like what what constitutes hospitalization? Oh, you don't want to get hospitalized. First of all, there's hospital associated infections that occur. You you might die from something else. That's one. That is <laughs> okay. still one of the highest causes of people dying in hospital. Cleanliness. One. Dirty hospital. So, 
Yeah, go look it up. Hospital-associated infections. Bad thing. Okay. You don't want to get that. You go in, you had a tooth thing. They did an extraction. You had a scar. Next thing you know, you lost a leg. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that sounds very scary. Right. Makes you not want to go to the hospital, to be honest with you. And you worried about you want man, you want black people to get insurance so they can go to the hospital and check on these conditions. Hey, you want to go to the hospital unless it's absolutely necessary. Not. It don't happen at all the hospitals, but there have been cases out there. And you know, people want to hide this stuff. I, I tell the truth. <laughs> you know, you ain't got to cut the grass to see me. Because <laughs> I'm gonna tell the truth, truth set me free. Right away, huh? I, I ain't gotta be a snake. But if you go to the hospital, that means that you are severe. So in the beginning, the reason everybody didn't get tested is because they wanted to ensure they had enough hospital beds. And that's the key. So if everybody got tested and everybody was severe, there's no hospital beds. Remember, New York got overran. So we're in a hospital, they got to put you on a ventilator, right? Ventilator, okay. that means your lungs are filled. The only thing that could probably help you to recover is getting up and do movement. Movement has been shown to clear your lungs, right? The more so like you sedative. And in a hospital. In a and hospital. Move. Okay. I was like, so you're going to send the COVID people outside? Oh, no. Oh, hell no. Okay. That, that, that's asking for them to spread it to somebody else. But, you know, you can put them in a bubble. They can walk anywhere. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so long, I just, just want to make sure. I had a weird know. picture with all of that. When you said weird that. picture. <laughs> you put them in a full mop suit. You know, gas mask, everything. They, they won't spread it up that way. But, you know, so when you get to the hospital and you're on the ventilator, um, you know, that's a tough place to be. Um, you know, I, I actually had an aunt that because they go in initially and people had pneumonia and it never registered. And some of the people's head like ding, 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 they have pneumonia. Maybe they have COVID. So I actually called one of my aunts and I called her to the hospital after about three or four days. She was in ICU for seven days and they still talk about she had pneumonia. Now, this is what happens to black people sometimes, probably more so than people recognize because it's all dependent on insurance and ability to pay the bills. So about the, the sixth time I said something, they finally gave a COVID test and voila, she came back with COVID. I was like, no shit, Sherlock. Right. Maybe you should have did that. And mm. then they begin to give her medication and, you know, luckily she recovered. But think about how many people, how many lives could have been saved. Let's go back to that. How many lives could have been saved if we had stopped traveling to the U.S.? How many lives could have been saved if everybody had a mask and, and we were told to wear a mask? How many so lives we, could have been saved? If, so we're under that. Yeah. So we're how many under lives that thought, been like, really. Like we can estimate, you guys are estimating how many lives could really be saved uh, off of people just wearing masks every day. Yeah. Well, look how many people died. That's how many right. lives could be saved. I, I don't want one death on my watch. The first death I had in uh, in Brookline, Mass, I cried because that's the first death I've had on my watch mm. in 25 years of doing public health service. Okay, and it was something that. I couldn't control because it happened at a nursing home. Yeah. Which you so know in the that, future. That's another that's another myth that people are saying. The, the people that are uh, at that that age in that nursing home age group, um, they're really not dying from COVID nineteen. They're really dying from old age. Yeah, really? So let, let me let me let, let me straighten this out. Nursing homes are probably the least equipped. 
to handle any infection control as opposed to a hospital. Hmm. Some of these hospitals yeah, actually cut off going to a hospital, so I can only yeah. imagine what's gonna happen in a nursing home. But you think nursing homes, you know, you got to be able to totally isolate somebody sick. You have negative air pressure, you can do it in the hospital. If you look, not many nursing homes have that ability. Mm. And you have to separate a person that's sick from a person that's healthy. So the best thing to do, if you know everybody else is healthy, nobody has COVID, you move them. The longer they stay within the facility, well, guess who's taking care of them? The same people. Mm -hmm. So if the one person, the sick person, the nurse that was taking care of them goes to take care of somebody else, the greatest exposure to all the other people is through the staff. The staff become the carriers. Mm. And, and so eventually it spreads. It spreads through the healthcare workers at the hospital and it spreads through the nursing homes. The individual walk in, they might be healthy, but they walk out another another um, situation. And so, so so what do you think this is gonna look like going forward though? Because we're talking about a second wave, right. you know. I would and, be locked in again for another 30, 40 days, 30, right. 60 Hell, Florida ain't even got out the first wave. <laughs> they let people on the beach and they forgot that it was coming. Man, I mean, like, what the hell were people thinking about? They living their best life out here, man. I, but hell, they think they living their last life. They don't even know. Because <laughs> they might be, right? <laughs> when we see you at the Corona smoking the cigars, man, we feel like we going to be okay. Yeah, but well, you will be okay, but you ain't too close to me either. But don't say you can't sit next to me right now. You man. can't sit next to me right now. Yeah, I, hey, brother, I love you. You, you sit by two tables over. Smoke this cigar. You keep a blow the smoke my way. Uh, right, I don't mind. Don't you see? Hey, hey, I remember one time, you know, we actually, I was in Africa, and I'm going to tell you how serious that, you know, I treat COVID. And and I do the same for any infectious disease. So I'm, I'm in Africa, I'm in Senegal, and I'm screening air crew. I had a, I had a mask on. N95 mask. Mm -hmm. And the person was, you know, within five feet of me. And I'm I'm ask, asking them questions. And my mask broke. Mm. I got up and ran. <laughs> I said, look, until I have the proper equipment, I will not go back and interview you. So you say that mask snapped, I got up. And that's the same approach. If you see somebody coughing and sneezing, I, I have went into businesses and have seen people. Coughing and sneezing. I moved the other direction. Mm -hmm. My my safe, how to keep myself safe is mm -hmm. I leave the area quickly. Quickly. I don't have no further I don't keep doing what I'm doing. No, I drop. So mm -hmm. if, if you if you sneeze on a car right now, I might drop the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's gonna come through the, the internet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> Jet, Dr. Jet, I can't thank you enough for, for being here to drop some of this knowledge for my frontline listeners. I know it's people like Brandon and Dez. You guys are out there listening, and I'm hoping you are staying in tune with some of these things that are going on in the world with um, coronavirus. This is this is not going yet, but Jet, Dr. Jet, you brought up a a, a wonderful thing that I want to continue to have the conversation. Do you got a little bit more time for us? Yes, I do. Uh, okay, so you brought up something else that I wanted to kind of bring up. You said this is a political game now. Hmm. And you said coronavirus, because I, I, I did notice it was coronavirus and then it was protests. And now we're back on coronavirus. 
What are they doing with football and why do we move back to coronavirus and, and off the protest? This is where I go. People pay attention because your movement is becoming a moment. We're back on coronavirus. Yeah. So, you know, see, don't you hold speak, back, man. I, I'm used to you talking. Yeah, I'm listening. When, I'm listening. When you speak to the light, your words become a danger to the masses and you might disappear. So think about this. Hmm. So we all know, number one, and, and what people should be upset about. Let, let, let me break it down to you. Why glasses off now? He, he why the protests hey. are happening? So I foresaw people protesting. And I started this in the beginning. Anytime that there's a natural disaster, who's impact? Think about Hurricane Katrina. It was in yeah. the aftermath community. Yeah. Right? Um, New Orleans already had the poorest health outcomes in the nation. They had the lowest rates of um, a hazard rates of infant mortality, which is due to racism and stress. They had the highest rates of cardiovascular disease. They had some of the highest rates of men dying young, okay, almost 10 to 15 years younger than the white race. Okay. So when COVID hit, you got people unemployed, right? Right. Proportionally to the other populations, demographic after american people were dying at a higher rate right mm -hmm. they were dying in hospitals and their loved ones couldn't even get to see them hmm. so they were taking their last breath and the people were not getting phone calls in the beginning people couldn't go to the hospital etc so think hmm. about this this is deep now you can't pay your rent so you're losing your place because they were doing evictions so i had to right. stop evictions happening people cars were getting repoed right People houses going to foreclosure. The people that got checks got one stimulus check. And if you made, if the family made uh, less than 136000 you got a check. Okay. Right. So there's a lot of people that made it slightly above that. They didn't get nothing. Get check, you got right. one check. Other countries gave, they still give people monthly checks. So now while all this is going on, you're starting to see police killing African-Americans in the street. So the time was ripe for us to get out and start to push back at society as to what's going on. You're already frustrated. You ain't got nothing to lose. Why would I care about wearing a mask and social distancing? I don't even know where my next meal coming from. Mm. Remember, right. when you're from the streets and you survive, and people forget, when you're surviving from meal to meal, you have not a paycheck in your bank account. You have less than a paycheck in your bank account. You got childcare if you're still trying to work or your business closed and people losing their business and you're seeing another black man getting killed on the street. There is nothing left that you have to lose. You're not, you don't care about dying. Okay. So now what is the greatest distractor of? Well, now let's go back to COVID. COVID, people have been dying all along. Right. <laughs> the numbers have not stopped. So we America, just we just pulling it back forward. The protest. And we still we still take it away from the message. So everybody knows we're doing protests that COVID cases going to spike. That's a duh. But at the same time, there's no vaccine. Okay? There is not enough social distance we can do. There's not enough resources we can do to get to people. There's not enough tests. Right. This is, this so is their way. Eventually. Is this their way of making our movement a moment? It's going to be longer than a moment because guess what? 
Only 7% of the population even have, have has had COVID. 7%. That means 93% of the population can still get infected. Right. And do you think that that's going to happen moving forward with these other? Do you think, because I've heard a theory that everyone at some point is going to get COVID-19. Well, I tell you what, at this point, the more we reopen the economy, we'll get up to about 20% of the population getting COVID, if not 30. There's no vaccine. So disease continues to spread until you gain herd immunity. And herd immunity means that a large proportion of the population has the disease, which it protects the people that don't. We only get seven to ten percent at best. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Then, uh, you guys heard it right here on the front line, Doctor Swanee Jet of Brookline Health Medical Health. Hey, look. I just bring the people on and ask them the questions. Y'all have the opportunity to ask them the questions. But Doctor Swanee Jet, I know I want to say Happy Father's Day to you. I know a lot of people forget that it's uh, Father's Day weekend. Um, we got a lot of stuff that's going on. I, I know we might as well cancel the day because it don't get recognized that much anyway. We, we're talking about Juneteenth, and right after that, it's going to be Fourth of July. But, sir, Happy Father's Day. Um, tell your wife, um, I, I thank you for allowing allowing the time being spent with the frontline listeners. And again, thank you for jumping on the line with me and Torian to have some conversation about the um, COVID-19 and giving frontline listeners a just knowledge on yeah. COVID. So. No, I appreciate it. And um, first of all, happy Father's Day to you both. And uh, invite me back anytime. You know, one things I do, I know a lot of science, but I keep it real so people understand it. Because we got to stop all this misinformation mm. that the media is using and it's actually using to hoodwink people yes. and, and got people having false hope when people should be doing a lot more to protect themselves. Hey, if we got we are here protesting Black Lives Matter, Black Lives need to matter toward COVID, too. Hello. There it is. Dr. Swanee Jet. I appreciate it again. Man. Hey, thank you. All right. All right. Anytime. Appreciate it, bro. Man, look. Yeah. This is why I invite people like Dr. Swanee Jet on the show. I want yeah. people to understand that there are we have medical um, professional people that just look like me and you, and they actually do this at a high level. He does this at a high level. He's been the Seminole County um, Director of Health, and now he's the Boston Brookline um, Director of Health. And his his actual study was in epidemiology, aka infectious disease. When I first met him, I had to literally. I, I had only known what epidemiology was because I had watched Queen Sugar and epidemiologist <laughs> on there. He was like, I study infectious disease. So when I met him, I was like, hey, man, how you doing? And he was like, uh, he asked me what I do. And I was like, I'm a consultant. You know, I talk a bit. You know, I'm just a regular everyday guy. And he was like, uh, well, he's I'm an epidemiologist. And I was like, ha ha, I know exactly what that is. I just, <laughs> so we got epidemiologists walking around in the community. You just got to be willing to open up your mouth and start the conversation. And and that's the, the, the crux of what we were talking about before Dr. Jack came on is being willing to be your authentic self and opening up your mouth and starting the conversation. But when you open up your mouth and start that conversation, you want to make sure that that conversation is coming from the authentic you rather than some fake version of you. Torian, I don't think you could have said it best, but I, I, I know we usually only do this thing for an hour mm. and we we're going well over time. So this is where I'm, I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping this thing up as, yeah, as I like, as I like to do. 
the um, I appreciate you spending the time with me. You guys, you, you can engage with us again. We'll, we're going to do this on Thursdays. I'm trying to commit to every Thursday, but we'll see what happens. We'll make it work. Just, we'll make it work. And just look to see when the uh, front line goes live. Brandon, Dez, um, Will, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you guys being out there. Zinda, you always going to support me. I know I talked about you a little bit, but we'll be all right. Um, again, I couldn't say it best, Torian. You said have some courageous vulnerability. That's what we got to do in our, our workspace. We got to be courageous, but we also have to be vulnerable. I know it's outside of our safe place that we're normally in within our black networking group. But now we have to step outside of the black networking group or bring people into that black ne networking group and help them understand holidays like Juneteenth or celebrations like Savior's Day or, or just the culture in general. Don't allow them to be culture vultures. Allow them to understand what we are truly moving towards and reshape the black community for the human race so we can say all lives matter and black lives ma will matter. Mm. I like to thank you guys for listening as usual. Um, not bad for my first broadcast going live. <laughs> hey, man, you did an outstanding job. I appreciate you having me on the show, bro. Man, all I, dude, I'm hoping my true North Star sticks with me. The... Um, audio will absolutely be dropped on Fridays as usual. And at this point in the game, you know what I like to say? You can now back up off the front line. Hey. <laughs>